Psalm uh, 37 is one of those psalms where I already know in advance that I'm not going to be able to do it justice. It is one of those epic psalms, you know, and you go through it. It's a difficult psalm to, to outline. It's almost like a proverb where, you know, you can read each verse and they all stand alone. But, but you know, in reading this psalm, we know it was written by David when he was older because uh, in verse uh, 25, notice what it says in Psalm 37 in verse 25. It says, uh, I have been young and now am old. And so David's not young now. Now he's an older guy, right? And I'm not sure how old that would be, you know, at what age we're supposed to actually say that. You know, what do you guys think? You know, when do you actually say, now I'm old? You know, I don't know um, when we can actually make that declaration. I was reading this uh, article right here on on being a senior citizen, and uh, it said, the question of when one becomes a senior citizen is a topic of interest to a new generation. About half of 64-year-olds responding to the survey said the term senior citizen does not apply to them because they don't feel like a senior. As a matter of fact, in the same survey, 96% of 50-year-olds rejected the term. And so, you know, I don't know how it works, you know, when you're actually a senior citizen or not. How many of you guys uh, uh, don't want to call yourself a senior, but you enjoy the financial benefits? Just... (laughs) You know, I already have this article right here, and I don't have time to read it, but man, it was just going through all the different places, even the movies where you get a discount when you're a senior citizen. But I thought it was interesting right here, uh, you guys probably heard of Associate Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., who retired from the Supreme Court in 1932 at the age of 90. And he said this, old is 15 years older than I am now. And I think that, that for those of you who, I don't know for sure how you guys feel about that, but I know that I'm, you know, I'm already 25 and I'm thinking, man, <laughs> no, I'm 51, but by the grace of God, I don't, I don't feel old. And who knows, there's some of you here that are probably in your 60s and you're like, by the grace of God, I, I don't feel old. And I don't know, you know, all I know is that he said it's always 15 years older than you are. Anyways, I don't know. David here, we don't know how old he is. All we know that is that he says, I was once young, now I'm older. But, and the thing about us, you know, the main thing now is now he's wiser, hopefully, right? He's wiser, he's matured over the years. He has learned so much about life. And more importantly, he's learned the ways of the Lord through firsthand experience, right? Therefore, Psalm 37, it really gives us uh, wisdom from a seasoned saint who's written this psalm in the latter years of his life. You know, when you, when you look at this psalm, it's primarily, you're going to see a contrast between the righteous and the wicked. You'll see that as we go through the chapter, and it, it deals a lot with their futures. As a matter of fact, the word shall, uh, I think it's found uh, 26 times in the chapter, 20 times, something like that. You know, shall. And it, what it is is a future for the wicked, but also the, the future for the, the, the righteous. And when we see the contrast between the blameless and, and the transgressor, we see that God actually does a work. As a matter of fact, look at verse 37 real quick. To me, when I look at Psalm 37, I think these two verses really summarize the psalm. Because like I said, it's a contrast between the righteous and the wicked 
And it's a contrast between the future of the righteous and the future of the wicked. And that's really the psalm in summary. Because look at verse 37. It says, Mark the blameless man and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. And so you see this psalm uh, written when David was older is primarily a contrast between the future of the wicked and the future of the, the righteous. And so for us, you know, thank God we're saved, we're Christians. For us, we're righteous because of who? Because of Jesus, right? As a matter of fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so praise God if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you've got this righteous, wonderful future. Um, And if you're not a Christian, I pray that today you would make that decision to follow the Lord because we're going to see the contrast is crazy Now, you know, there's no doubt that also, before we dive into it, part of Psalm 37's background has a lot to do with the land of Israel. You know, to the Jews, and you guys probably know this, the land has always been symbolic of where they are in their relationship with God and even what God is doing on the prophetic calendar. You know, as you study uh, Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 27 through 30, what you'll find is that God made a covenant with his people and basically he said this to them. He said, if you obey, I will bless you in the land. If you disobey, I will chasten you in the land. But if you continue to disobey and you don't change, even though I chasten you, then I will take you out of the land. We're going to see that the land has a lot to do with the Psalm 37 as well. As a matter of fact, look real quick, if you would, at verse 3. It says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Look at verse 29 of this psalm. It says, The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. And then if you look down at verse 34, it says, Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. You know what, and I, and I see that also, you guys, just in case, you know, you're, you're wondering. It's where you belong. It's where you belong as a Christian. If you're, you know, disobeying, you know, God's going to deal with you and he's going to chasten you. But if you continue to disobey and you don't change, you know, when he chastens, then you know what's going to happen to even us as Christians? We're going to find ourselves somewhere in our spiritual geography where we don't belong. And so there's a lot to this, you know, and David, he's wiser now, and he's seen people come against him like Saul and even his son Absalom, and God killed them. He's seen what God does with the wicked and how God will bless the righteous. He's seen what happens in life now, all his life, maybe he's 60, 65 years old, what God does to those who wait on him. You know, we're going to talk about that tonight, how he blesses those who trust in him. You know, and, and, and as far as the land goes, you know, he's going to see, you know, and he's going to share with us today how important it is that you and I, we, we stay right with God so that we might be where we belong you know, the psalm in one sense is David's consideration 
also of the next generation. You know, because as you begin to get older, like me, I'm in my 50s and 60s and 70s, you start thinking about your children, and you start, well, you do when they're younger too, but, you know, you're really thinking about, like, what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to the next generation of the church? And David's going to deal with them as well. And so, you know, he's considering the next generation, and he's telling them to trust in the Lord, get right, stay right, walk in his way, and only then will you be okay to inherit the land. And so we're going to see the word inherit or inheritance is found six times in this chapter. And uh, not, not just a, a, a temporary inheritance, you know. Uh, I mean, because it's also something that it applies to them then, but it also applies to us forever. You know, as a matter of fact, uh, three times this word is found Look at verse 18, if you would, Psalm 37 and verse 18. It says, The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. Right? In, in verse 28, it says, uh, in, in verse 28, For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. Right? In, in verse 29, the, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. And so this psalm, it has to do with, you know, what's going on in your life? What's going to happen to your life? I don't know what that dash is. I don't know how long you're going to live. I don't know how many decades you have left. Whatever your life is, it has to do with your life now. But it has to do with your life forever. And that's why it's such an important psalm. I, I encourage you to read it. And one last thing, I, I think I said that already, but one last thing before we dive in, it's an acrostic psalm. And so in the Hebrew language, every other verse pretty much would be another successive letter in the Hebrew alphabet. You know, for us, it would be A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? And so in the Hebrew language, same thing. And you wonder, why did they do that? The reason they did that is because they wanted their children to memorize the psalm. And that's how important this psalm is. And so we read here in Psalm 37, beginning in verse 1. It's a psalm of David. And it says, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. And so David begins with those three words there in verse 1, do not fret. Uh, we see it also in verse 7, and then we see it again in verse 8. And the Hebrew word translated fret, it actually literally means getting hot or getting hot-headed, but it also carries the idea of worrying. As a matter of fact, the New Living Translation translates it that way. Don't worry 
about the wicked. Don't worry about the wickedness. You know, Jesus commanded us as well not to worry over and over again in the Gospels. He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about, you know, the clothes that you, you know, you want to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to say. He said, don't worry about your life. You know, and we see it here in the Psalms. We have that English word fret, and, and it speaks really of anxiety uh, or worry on steroids, like amplified. As a matter of fact, when someone frets, that's speaking of someone who's constantly worrying. It's They're constantly worrying to the point where it can be seen visibly. It's obvious to others, you know, and they, and they come up and then they might ask you, hey, what's going on? I can see something's bothering you. And what that means is that you've come to a point now where it's not just a little bit of worry or concern or care. It's now that you're, you're fretting. And David says, don't, don't do that. After years of experience, after years of battling the devil himself, after years of seeing the wicked come against me, and I've been on the run all my life, I mean, going through so many different things, let me tell you, you do not have to fret. Because we have a father who cares for us. You know, he's able to say that. I've seen it with my own eyes. I know it deep down in my heart. God's going to deal with the workers of iniquity, with those who've wronged you, those spirits that come against you. They might be prospering now, but they're going to be, he says, they're uh, cut down like grass. They're going to wither away like the weeds. Understand that. You know, think about the next time your gardener is out there mowing the lawn, you know, or pulling the weeds or raking up those withered or fallen leaves. That's the future for the workers of iniquity, for all those who come against God and his loved ones. You have nothing, we have nothing to fret, to fear, or to worry about. You know, Jesus told us not to worry in Matthew 6, 27, because it doesn't do us any good And here, David tells us not to worry or fret because it does us bad. You know, that's exactly what we read again. Look at verse 8. It says, uh, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Remember what Jesus said? He said, don't worry. You can't make yourself grow. You know, sometimes we worry, we think it's going to be some beneficial. You're going to grow spiritually by worrying? No. And so it it doesn't do you any good. As a matter of fact, it only does you harm. Trust in the Lord. He says, do not fret. You know, what, what kind of bad things does it do to us when you worry? It says, don't fret because it only causes harm. I mean, there's probably a lot of things we can think of. I was reading this one article right here about worrying the side effects of worrying. Number one, here's one, insomnia. How many of you want insomnia? Just out of curiosity. You know, but when you start like taking your eyes off the Lord, focusing like laser vision on whatever the problem is, like it's too big for God, you know, and then you start worrying and then next thing you know you're fretting, a lot of times what happens is that you can't sleep. It's a common occurrence and it can get very serious You guys know, right? Sleep is a necessity. It's not a luxury. And so not getting enough sleep can do all kinds of awful physical and mental damage. You know, it it really impacts you, man, and it messes up 
you know, the next day. And so, number one, insomnia. Number two, they say that when you fret, uh, worry, it hurts you in the digestive system. You get digestive issues. And so, for many people, worry is characterized by a feeling of tightness or heaviness in the stomach. And it's like all your organs are tied up like a big knot, right? And so, they say worry and anxiety affect our digestive systems and can lead to issues like heartburn and ulcers. It can also lead to weight gain, believe it or not. Back in the day, human, uh, uh, humans' biggest cause for worry was not having enough food. And so even to this day, when we're stressed, we kind of store up the food. You know what I'm saying? You guys ever do that? Get a gallon of ice cream and just... Do you ever do that? I do. Anyways, um, <laughs> we're number, number three, insomnia and uh, digestive issues, memory problems. Memory problems. They say it usually only causes more problems by consuming our consciousness and distracting us from what's really going on. You know, if you're all wrapped up in worry, you're less likely to remember where you put your keys. You guys ever do that? Or, you know, to grab that bill that's due on the way out, thus causing yourself even more stress. Worry number four is skin and hair damage. Worry and stress causes the body to release Cortisol, which can trigger acne breakouts and adrenaline, another stress hormone that can cause hair loss when converted into cholesterol. And then there's other things they say, and I don't know if this, I don't know, all this medical stuff, fertility issues, heart and cholesterol problems. And, uh, and then the article goes through. And the interesting thing is it goes through and it gives you tips on, on the not, you know, how to overcome worry, but now I probably got you guys all worried about worrying, <laughs> But, you know, the, the thing is, is it doesn't talk about God. I mean, it gives you tips, you know, be realistic and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? The only answer to anxiety, uh, the only way to work through all these things in which the enemy amplifies in our own fears is to go to God. You know, and we got to see that as we go through our text today. We're going to see the only real reason we have you know, not to worry is because of God. That's the only real reason. Our Father is faithful, He's sovereign, He's loving, He cares, and He's complete control, which really means that we can trust Him. And that's exactly what we read. Look at verse 3. It says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. And so we're going to see the word trust uh, three times in our chapter here in verse 3, again in verse 5, and then over in verse 40. The Hebrew word, uh, batak, it speaks of confidence in God. You know, uh, completely confident in Him. Listen, your confidence must be in God and no one else. Not your spouse, not your, you know, your spiritual mentor, and, you know, not you know, a pastor. Not, no, it, it must only be in God because when your trust is completely in God, then you will not be shaken. And if you're shaken, it's because your confidence is not in Him. You see? And that's why we have, to, we have to trust in the Lord. Our, it's you know, complete confidence in, in God who will always 
lead us uh, to that place of peace and security. And you're going to feel safe. Why? Because you are. You know, trust is firm belief in the ability and reliability of someone or something. And in this case, of course, it's God. And it's interesting what verse 3 says. It teaches us that we trust God. Look, notice in verse 3, trust in the Lord and, and do good. That, that we trust God by, by doing good, dwelling in the land, feeding on his faithfulness. So when we do bad, it's again one of those revelations that we're not trusting in God. And that's us doing what we can. And then in verse 5 is uh, us trusting God to do what only he can. So verse 3, trust in the Lord. Notice again, do good, dwell in the land. You know, bloom where you're planted and, and feed on his faithfulness, not yours. That's you doing what you can. But verse 5 is trust in the Lord for him to do what only he can. Commit your way, notice it says in verse 5, to the Lord. Trust also in him. And notice, he shall bring it to pass. And, and that's how it works. You know, you trust in the Lord. You show that you trust in the Lord. You do good. You dwell in the land. You're feeding on his faithfulness. You're focused on the way that he's always taken care of you all your life. And then as you're, you know, committing your ways to him, as you're trusting in him, then he will bring it to pass. You know, when you look at verse 5, it's us trusting God. And, and when we look at verse 40, it's interesting because that's really the whole reason that we get victorious is, is because you trusted in him. It's because, it's because you trusted in him. You know, I found it fascinating as I was going through and just doing some reading that Dr. David Livingstone would always quote this verse, Psalm 37 in verse 5. It was just quoted by him over and over again. I don't know if you guys know Dr. David Livingstone's uh, testimony, but he was a great 19th century missionary and he was an explorer of Africa. He lived from 1813 to 1873, only 60 years. But man, what he did in those 60 years is absolutely amazing. You know, when I read verse 5, I think basically of the path and purpose of my life. You know, verse 5, look at it again. It says, uh, commit your way to the Lord. You know, trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Commit your way to the Lord. You know, you give it to him. To me, that's my life. Lord, I give you my life, right? I, I, I got to give it to God. I have to totally, truly trust in him. And, and when we do that, then it says that he will act on our behalf. He will help us in life. And then when it's all over, uh, when life is over, and one day if the Lord tarries, who knows, maybe we're going to get raptured. But when life is over, we're going to look back or we're going to say, he, he brought it to pass. The mission impossible, at one time I thought it was so impossible, is now mission accomplished because we gave it to God, because we trusted, truly, totally trusted in him. You know, I think of Dr. David Livingstone and so many others throughout church history who would fall back on this verse. You know, they used to say that David Livingstone was a combination of Mother Teresa, Neil Armstrong, and Abraham Lincoln. That's an interesting combination. You know, but he was so, uh, he was a philanthropist. Um, 
He was an explorer. Like Neil Armstrong went to the moon. This guy went to the interior of Africa like you wouldn't believe. And this guy, like Abraham Lincoln, he was an advocate for the, the freedom of slaves. He had a heart for the lost. It was this amazing thing what this guy went through and what he did. You know, as a missionary, he spent the last 30 years of his life in an exhaustive effort to evangelize the native races of Africa. And as a philanthropist and explorer, he literally went where no man had gone before in one sense. No roads, no maps, no surviving explorations from the outside world. He literally paved the way and created what he called God's Highway, 1,500 miles into the interior of Africa. He was a pioneer who brought Christianity and civilization to unreached people. You know, it was in his heart, you know, to, to reach the lost, to end slavery physically and spiritually. And by the grace of God, he was instrumental in doing so, even though he encountered uh, numerous obstacles along the way. You know, he tried to go different places in mission field, the doors were closed. Times of virtually no conversions. People who would return to their own vomit. Struggles with his own anger. Struggles with his own staff. Stuck in the swamp, literally up to his neck. He was lost for two years. No one could find him. The death of his wife when he was 51 years old. So much happened to him until finally he passed at the age of 60. He was in a mud hut, kneeling beside his bed, in prayer. And, and just what he did, you know, where others quit, he refused to do so. He knew well, and he clung to Psalm 37, verse 5, and that he committed his way to the Lord. He trusted in him. And when he passed, we see now that God brought it to pass. Mission accomplished. And that's the only way we're going to be able to do this, you know? Do we really trust in the Lord? I mean, it even takes us back to verse 4. If you would look at verse 4, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You know, and that's just a, a beautiful passage. You know, and I don't know, we could probably start in the beginning of that verse, but let me start at the end of the verse, you know, where God will give you the desires of your heart. What an awesome thought that is. You know, we're like that with our kids, aren't we? Come on, you know. My, even though I know sometimes we probably shouldn't give them a video game, you know, maybe we'll give them a video game. You know, my daughter wants cookie dough ice cream, maybe. You know, and you want to give it to them, you know. God's so good like that, right? I mean, for us, uh, God is willing to give us the desires of our heart, and maybe you're here and you long for, for love. Maybe you're here and you have a desire for a godly husband or a godly wife. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, or you want to serve the Lord in a certain way. You know, you want to be a missionary to Hawaii. Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> God's called you or, or Africa. I know some people that want to go to Africa. Maybe you're here today and you have a heart that beats for the youth. Well, praise God for those desires, you know. Maybe you're a housewife and you want to stay at home and be a stay-at-home mom, or maybe you want to homeschool your children. And bottom line is, we all have different desires. 
And, 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 you know, for us as a church, wouldn't it be cool, Lord, to purchase property and, you know, plant a church like that in Omani one day and that way for generations to come? You know, but um, God, I, I think that's okay. We have those desires. God wants to give us those desires. But here is how we can actually see those desires transpire. It says right here, delight yourself also in the Lord. Right? You see, by delighting ourselves in the Lord, when we come to a place in our lives where pleasing Him pleases us, that brings me joy. That brings me delight. Then He brings us joy by being preeminent in our life. You know, where you have a heart, like it says in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O God. And your law is within my heart. Or Romans 7, 22, it says, I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. You know, Isaiah 58 is a really cool verse. And in verse 13 and 14, it's talking about, you know, people fasting. Really, the context is interesting. And it says, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, not finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so, you know, do you have a heart that you're most pleased when you're pleasing him? I mean, this, is he the one that delights you? And then what ends up happening is if there are any desires in your heart that are not of the Lord, then he's going to work with you on that, man. And he's going to change those desires and you're going to see that they line up with his will. We often get it backwards. We focus on the desires of our heart instead of God, who's the only one to give us the desires of our heart. And so, um, again, there's so much here, but this is how we see God move. My prayer is that we would fall in love with him. You know, sometimes I think of the church and you guys... You guys probably know this. I don't know for sure if you do, but you know that typically most churches, the Christians, they, they don't really, really, really love the Lord. They're, they're not really in it for God. They're living their life. They're having a good time. You know, um, they're carnal. You know, and God's called them to serve, and I'll think about it. You're lost. My encouragement is that we would just, we would be holy. We would be all his. You know, this psalm right here, David, just talking about the distinction between the righteous and the wicked is not just a, a statement of information. You know, the wicked are going to go to hell, and if you're a bad Christian, you're going to get beat up and kicked out of the land. No, it's not just information. It's transformation. God, if there's any part of my heart that you don't have, I give it to you tonight. That's what God wants to do. So in, in verse 8, um, notice what we read. It says, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. There's also that issue of getting mad, which I'm sure you guys don't struggle with. <laughs> For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Can you guys finish this uh, sentence? Good things come to those who wait. Is that you guys know that, huh? 
But how come you don't wait? No, I'm just joking. Um, how about this sentence? Can you finish this sentence? Um, haste makes waste. Right? What do we have to do? It says right here, we've we, we got to wait on the Lord, right? Those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall not be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. You know, I'll be honest with you, like, nowadays, a lot of times, we've got the young people, and sometimes even the older people, man, they're, they're, you know, they want to be like that rock star. You know, and they're, they're following them on whatever the social media is. And you, you want to be like that rock star? You want to follow them? Do you know where they're going? Do you realize that there's an emptiness inside? And we look up to that person, they made $100 million on that movie. You know, but is that what you want? Absolutely not. We're going to see today even, and it's better just to have a little bit with being righteous and have a whole lot. I mean, you've got to understand the future of these people. This is what he's trying to say here. He's saying their future is not good. It's such a clear contest between the righteous and the wicked. You know, don't, don't be afraid of them. Don't envy them because justice will prevail one day and every wrong will be made right. It's interesting how Jesus quoted verse 11, you know, where it says the meek shall inherit the earth, right? He quoted that in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5. And ultimately, this refers to what? Our home in heaven, Right, I think during the millennial kingdom, we're going to have a place on earth for a thousand years. But then, you know, after that, we have the new heavens and the new earth. And Jesus is talking about how the meek shall inherit the earth. In verse 12 right here, it says, um, The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. Have you ever had anybody do that to you? It's so mad. Ah, but the Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy, to slay those who are of upright conduct. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. And like I said earlier, David experienced this. Listen, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. If God is for us, who can be against us, you see? You know, here we have these guys plotting and planning to take us down. They gnash at us, meaning they hate us. They're talking about us, shooting arrows at us, swinging swords at us. It doesn't matter, man, because you've got to understand God's on it. He's for us. As a matter of fact, the things that sometimes make us worry, they actually, you know, make him laugh. How ridiculous that they think they can thwart the plan of my child. You know, we see that here in verse 16. Notice what we read next. It says, A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken. Again, but the Lord upholds the righteous. You see, again, it's just the contrast, you know. Um, we see the Lord knows the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied, but the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish into smoke. They shall vanish away. You know, their prosperity we see is only temporary, but ours is forever. Their riches are not true riches. Ours are. Today I was reading the book of Ephesians, and 
just reading in verse chapters 1 through 3 how rich we are. You know, all the stuff that they have will never satisfy them. But we see in verse 20 that ours does. The wicked shall perish. And when I think of that verse of John 3.16, I think of, again, the basic difference is that some have accepted the Lord. We are not the wicked, we are the righteous. And so for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You know, I was listening to a study by Damien Kyle and he was talking about how it would be better to have a tuna sandwich and some Fritos in a, in a home of love and righteousness. I would much rather have that, me sitting down eating you know, you can talk to my family, man, to me. One of the most important things is this eating together. I just want to eat with my family. And, you know, I try to make them wait until I come home, but they, sometimes they don't. But, you know, they, you know, to me, that's much better. I'd rather have, uh, you know, beans and rice right there with my family than have some caviar. Like these guys out there are so rich. They got everything. We envy them sometimes. Oh, I like their house. I like their car. I like their clothes. I like the way that life it seems so easy for them. But as they're eating whatever it is, you know, the best, you know, food that money can buy, they're empty inside. And what, what David is here is trying to say, don't envy them. Don't fret because of the fact that they prosper. You've got to open your eyes and realize how rich you are. Look at verse 21. It says, The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and, and gives. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. You know, where it says they're ordered by the Lord, there in verse 23, it means they're established by the Lord. Not necessarily speaking of guidance, but in this case, there's a security, there's safety. You know, in verse 24, it talks about those times that, that we fall. And, and, I, and I, gotta, I, I gotta share this with you. You know, that when we fall and we stumble, you know, God's always there to pick us up and restore us. But you know what? Be careful that you don't go into sin with eyes wide open. Because if that's the, the case, then, you know, you're, you're asking for, you know, something a lot different than I think what we're reading right here. God will always forgive. God will always restore. God will always give you grace. But I think that when we're talking about somebody who stumbles along the way, we're talking about somebody who's not doing this, again, persistently, insistently, consistently, eyes wide open, volitionally. That's a scary place to be. I've talked to people, and they told me, I know what the Bible says, but I, I, I can't handle this marriage anymore. Well, you don't got no grounds for a divorce. Well, I, I know, but I'm going to do it anyways, Really? That's a scary place to be. We have to go according to God's word, right? Verse 27, notice what it says. Depart from evil and, and do good. Again, not just the absence of evil, but the positive now. Do good, dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved, notice, forever. But the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land. There it is again, and dwell in it forever. 
The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom and his tongue talks of justice. It almost sounds like a proverb, huh? As you're reading through this uh, psalm right here. It says in verse 31, The law of God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand nor condemn him when he is judged. You know, when I read that verse right there, you know what I was thinking of? Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Therefore there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh, you know? The enemy comes in, he tries to accuse you, right? Because he's the accuser of the brethren. But praise God, you know, there is no condemnation for us. We are the righteous. His righteousness has been imputed to our account. We are his children. We are not the wicked. And there is such a clear contrast here. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. It says in verse 34, Wait on the Lord and, and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. You know, we have to wait on the Lord in the sense that we wait with eager expectation and great anticipation. It's not like we're tapping our foot and we're saying how long. It's we're waiting on the Lord for his perfect timing and we're waiting for his marching orders and he'll direct us. You know, he says in verse 35, I have seen the wicked in in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree. I mean, it looked so good for him, and yet he passed away. And behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. Again, just the contrast. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace, but the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them. Why? Because they trust in him. You know, and I, and I know probably, I don't know, nine out of ten of you are here, you're saved. Right? There's a couple of you that maybe you haven't really made that commitment to the Lord yet. You know, if you're here, I pray that you would take that first step. You know, that you would know that Christ loves you, that he died for you on a cross. That he rose again the third day and that you would truly trust in him. That one day we'll ask you, someone might ask you, well, are you going to heaven when you die? And, and you would say, yes. I'm free, I'm forgiven, I'm going to heaven. How do we know that? You would say, because I gave my life to Christ, you know? And so it always starts there. But how about for us as Christians? You know, are we really in that place where we're truly, totally trusting in Him? You know, and then you can look at it, and I think a person who trusts in the Lord, you know, they, 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 they're not fretting, they're waiting on Him, And they're even dwelling in the land, wherever God has them. They're blooming where they're planted, and they're doing good. They're not freaked out. They're not worried. They have a confidence in God's ability and God's reliability. God has shown them when they look back over their life how faithful he is, how gracious he is. And what happens is, even as David is now an older man, 
He's mature. And then that happens to us as well. You know, I pray that we would all have that aspect of, you know what, it's time, you know, to grow up. It's time to put away childish things. It's time, you know, to be a pioneer and to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And Lord, make me a combination of Mother Teresa and Neil Armstrong and Abraham Lincoln and and Billy Graham and Chuck Smith or whatever it is, you know, that the Lord has laid on your heart, whatever he's going to do in your life. Just think if we all caught that vision, if we all got that peace by the Holy Spirit, you know, what God would do. You know, we started tonight in prayer. And, uh, you know, as we have uh, Errol Lynn and Ariel come up and, and, they, and they sing this last song, I just want to encourage you guys, man, to make sure that you don't stop praying. I, I think that as we're fasting and as we're seeking the Lord, that that's going to be the key. You know, as God draws us to prayer, and my prayer, and I've been telling you guys this over and over again, is husbands, pray with your wife. Wife, if your husband's not praying with you, tell me. Go and go get him, okay? No, I'm just joking. We'll sick somebody on him. But you know what? Um, parents, pray with your kids. Friends, man, we got to see what God will do, okay?